Well, good morning, good morning, and welcome to the 3CR Gardening Show. My name is A.B. Bishop, and I'm your host today because I think Pam is helping the Easter Bunny deliver eggs. Either that or she's having a bit of a sleep-in. <laughs> Whatever it is, happy Easter, everybody. Now, with autumn has come a bit of rain, and that does make things a bit easier when you're trying to get on top of all of those weeds that have gone crazy over summer. But it's not just in the garden that weeds are a problem. When they spread, they have huge potential to cause untold damage to bushland and farms, And later in the show, we'll be chatting with author and weed expert Kate Blood about what common garden plants have the capacity to become weedy and what we can try and do to prevent this from happening. Mm. Now, autumn's also a great time to be planting ornamentals and the perfect time to start prepping the ground for all those bare-rooted fruit trees you've been dreaming about. And with me in the studio are three guests who've certainly done their fair share of planting both ornamentals and fruit trees over the years. So good morning, Gwen and Roger Elliott and Graham Morrison. Good morning, morning, everybody. (laughs) We're alive. You are alive. Happy Easter to you all. Easter Bunny actually delivered uh, eggs on my table this morning, so oh, that was a good, 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 good effort. So you got out your way early, did you? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Ah, and uh, what about the rain? Have we had a bit of rain? Oh, yes, a bit of a drizzle on the way in. I don't think we had too much. The, the, pub, the road was wet on the way in, oh. yeah, sure. So a little bit there, keep the grass happy for uh, you know, the bit that's germinated after the last. We, we got uh, 25 mils in the last fall there, so that was considerable. So I think, oh, yeah, very nice. Yeah. Well, we beat you by 10. I think, you yeah, I think Roger and Gwen beat you by 10 too, oh, Graham, so you know, you've got to up the ante. I thought I was doing well too. <laughs> well, we'll take anything that we get, don't we? <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, and what about you, Gwen and Roger, what have you been up to and what's happening down your way? Oh, look, there's all sorts of things happening, but I think one thing we'd really agree with you on, A.B., is that now is the best time to plant in, I'd say, I'd going to say Melbourne, but I was going to say Victoria. I mean, over the years we've done some planting, uh, broad-scale planting in country areas where um, you can put in the plants, give them a good water, and then they're on their own, you know, if you haven't got access to a garden tap like we have in the suburbs here. And uh, the, wa- the ground is still warm from summer. You know, if you plant in spring, the ground is, the soil is cold from the winter we've just had. So you can get some good root development now, uh, shorter days, so there isn't the stress on the plants, and they're going to get established in preparation for next summer, much better if they're planted in autumn. This is, the guys agree with me there? Yeah, to to, to right, Gwen, you know, it was frustrating for us. So many people, you know, the big push in sales sales of plants is in the spring, of course, Mm. and why not plant them? It's such a a better, they get a lot better success if they put them in this time of the year, the next couple of months, ideal time for putting putting things in. I guess, you know, maybe you just got to watch the drainage thing if you go into the winter and you get, do get a, 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 a real heavy uh, rainfall through that time, you know, the, the, the drainage on the, the plants that you put in the autumn can, can be a bit of a problem. But that, that's, you know, alleviated. You, you elevate things a little bit. You don't put them down in too much of a, 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 a dip when you're planting this time, this time of the year. Probably something I didn't think of, and you know, thoughts keep coming when you're sort of running on the, the yeah, seat of sure. your pants or something. But it, it can be a little bit different in high frost areas. But if yes, you're not in a, a heavily frosted area, now's the time. And probably giving them, uh, if you're going to use a fertilizer, a root starter type fertilizer rather than one that puts on fresh new growth. 
um, is a good thing and you can give them some uh, growth fertiliser in the spring. But um, Yeah, absolutely. And um, uh, for listeners that don't know, I'm um, back at Gardening Australia as researcher there and uh, we've just been working on a uh, story with Sophie Thompson, our frost protection story. Mm. And uh, what she does, she does a couple of things and one is pl- apply a seaweed-based um, solution um, a month or so before the, the winter really starts kicking in because that increases the sap content in the cells and that means that there's, it gives them a bit more frost protection and then she'll also spray there's a you know the, the um, frost protection spray which you can put on which is a, like a biodegradable polymer and um, that again gives it a bit bit more protection even the fungicide co-side is very good oh, is, oh now that's really in- interesting that you say that Roger because I I was doing some reading and when I was doing this uh, frost protection research, I noticed that there's a a particular bacteria or types of bacteria that can increase the frost formation on plants. And um, some people were saying that if you spray with a fungicide, that yeah, can help get rid right. of the fungicide, yeah, and really yeah, which is very interesting, yeah, 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 isn't yeah, it? Yeah, because yeah, I'm just trying to remember now. I think when... They started talking about co-side for this purposes. It was for, for tomatoes and things like that. And uh, also, whether in fact there was maybe nearly four degrees uh, extra tolerance. That's significant if it was four yeah, degrees there. Yeah, yeah. Well, we weren't. But you're not yeah. planting your tomatoes now. No, no, no. no, no that's no, okay. No, no. Just but checking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But once again, I suppose, yeah. you know, yeah. if people are yeah. living in very frosty areas, you know, getting you try and choose plants that are going to survive Yeah, but yeah, we all sure. like to grow plants that, oh, yeah. um, that we that, like to push the boundaries, the don't we? Yeah. Outside <laughs> the boundary a bit, that's yeah. right but We used to grow tomatoes and we had the same problem th- 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 this end of the season so we used to put in a late crop and you know, you'd, you'd pick up until about the second week in May and then you'd be very you know, the, a frost was likely to come, yeah. c- c- come in at that stage of the game. We used to get out there at 3 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock and put the sprinklers on sort of mm-hmm. thing and, and that, 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 that helped a bit as well yeah. but uh, yes frost, frost can be a worry yeah. you know, yeah. in, in your cranburn planting you know, you would put in quite a bit down there in the, in the autumn time Yes, they've just been doing a lot of planting already. Sure, yeah, 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 sure, yeah, sure. You're talking about, you know, outside the borders, you'd have quite a lot of stuff you'd put in that would, uh, you know, you'd be uh, tempted to put in stuff from northern Australia and outside the border a bit. And how do these things go? Do you 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 oh, have, yeah, have losses there? Or you, oh you no, know? look, the, the, <laughs> this is down at the uh, Australian Garden, Royal Botanic Gardens, Cranbourne, yes. and they, um, one area they had a bit of trouble initially establishing plants from the northern regions was okay. in Gondwana. Go. Okay, yes. but so they've put yeah. in acacia deal bart, a silver wattle, okay. quick mm. growing to try and give some cover. Yeah, now, yeah, yeah, yeah. some of those acacia deal bart, they'll, they'll be removed later, mm, but uh, yeah, they're above the yeah, height yeah, of the yeah, other plants. That's so a great, great way to do it. Mm. Yeah, yeah, so that's yeah, one, one yeah, way of, yeah, sure, of yeah. overcoming, just giving some protection. Yeah, yeah I guess you can't um, drape frost cloth over everything down at Cranbourne. No, <laughs> Even though I have noticed it's very, very cheap. So I think if you've got a few yeah, plants yeah, that you yeah, want to protect, I think for a 100-metre roll, it was $80 or something like that and you can leave it on the plants, you know, the rain will come through and light will penetrate so 
I think if you've got something particularly mm-hmm. special, then mm-hmm. it, it, it's worth yeah, doing that. That's a good, good, good idea. Yeah, in fact, yeah. I was thinking I should actually wrap the passion fruit up in that. I, I wrapped it up with yeah, hessian last car. year and it actually yes. worked, yes. but I think the frost cloth mm-hmm. might be a better option because it won't okay. get soaked mm-hmm. through with the rain. And okay. yeah, yeah. yeah. Your passion fruit can end up a bit of a compost on the, on the wall kind of oh, sort of thing yeah. sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we've actually got some flowers and fruit, but I think it's too late. I think yeah, it's, uh, it's yeah, no, I don't think yeah, they'll sure. ripen up. No, no. All right, well, I suppose we should get on to some community announcements. Can't believe it's autumn because we've got so many to get through. Um, so I'll start us off. We've got uh, Lubra Bend in Yarra Glen. That's open today. Um, so that's from 10 till 4.30. The entry price is $10 and uh, under 18 are free. And that's at 135 Simpson Lane in Yarra Glen. Uh, Lubra Bend is a fascinating and inspiring garden that marries traditional and contemporary elements with great flair. A dramatic Australian garden designed by Phil Johnson greets you at the entry gate and sweeps down the site to the Yarra River. Massive rocks, a lushly planted billabong and overflowing pools are surrounded by hardy, dry, tolerant plants. This part of the garden is an inspiration for dry landscape gardening and there will be landscape tours on both days and most importantly there will be a coffee cart on site. So that's the Lubra Bend uh, today from 10 till 4.30. The Keelor Plains Group of the Australian Plant Society is holding their annual Australian plant auction on Friday April 1st starting at 7.50pm followed by supper. The, it's at the Uniting Church, corner of Roberts Road and Glenis Avenue in Airport West. It's always a fun evening with healthy competition for prized plants. Catalogue on the evening to help with selection and inquiries are to Anne on 9336-3228. So it's Anne on 9336-3288. Uh, Pepper Tree Place, which is a volunteer-powered local green initiative, is holding their incredible Coburg food swap on Saturday the 2nd of April from 10am till 2pm at 512 Sydney Road, Coburg. They've got homegrown produce swap table with seed swap, um, a clothes swap so you can give or take and refresh your wardrobe. There's the pop-up pepper tree cafe, volunteer-run nursery and Reiki and massage. And our own Penny Woodward is giving a um, talk or workshop at 10.30am entitled, strangely enough, Garlic is Not Just Garlic, How to Know and Grow Your Garlic. And her books will also be for sale there. Uh, To register for that talk, uh, you need to text this mobile number 0421. 402 502 502 so that's 0421402-502 Now, if you want uh, something exciting to do on Saturday the 9th and Sunday the 10th of April, you can go to the uh, Kilmore region. There's the Kilmore 
Art Expo on at the Memorial Hall from 10am till 5pm on Saturday and from 10am to 4pm on Sunday. It's $6 or $3 concession and that includes catalogue and door prize tickets. And also on in the Kilmore region is the um, Silky's Rose Farm. So it's a perfect time of year to be enjoying the roses. They're at their best at the moment. Um, and they will have Devonshire tea all day. And to get to Silky's Rose Farm, you need to take the Clonbinane exit off the Hume. Um, so for further details for either of those, for Silky's Rose Farm, you can call Diana Sargent on 0418 337-765 and for the Kilmore Art Expo you can call Andrea Willis on 0428-410-041 Over to you Gwen Right, well it's obviously rose time <coughs> on that same weekend which is Saturday the 9th and Sunday the 10th of April the Rose Society of Victoria has its Autumn Rose Spectacular now this is being held at Garden World Nursery uh, 810 Springvale Road, Brayside. Uh, admission is free and, you know, that's a, a big event for the Rose Society and also for Rose enthusiasts. If you want any further information about that, you can ring Carl 0457 or the Rose Society's website is simply Rose Society Vic. .org.au <clears throat> Pardon me The same weekend on the Sunday afternoon the 10th we have two different options for you The first is at Stephen Ryan's Garden to Gurium, which is in Macedon 8th Centenary Avenue Now they're having a garden serenade afternoon Garden soiree I think it's called but there's also a garden serenade in case people aren't sure what soiree involves but what it does involve is a performance by the Gertrude Opera Studio Artists. Now, these are young um, uh, opera enthusiasts who will be performing a selection of opera arias and there will be ensembles under the canopy of trees in Stephen and Craig's garden there. The cost for that, including wine and nibbles, is $55 per head and you must book to go so they know how many to cater for, of course. Uh, you can book online at www.gertrudeopera, or one word, dot com dot au, or you can phone 03-9429-9006, and that's 2pm for a 2.30 start, Sunday the 10th of April, uh, and $55 ahead there. Another thing on that same day, uh, Sunday the 10th of April, let me see, what's the time for this one? I haven't two got o'clock. Oh, 2 o'clock, yes. This is out at Beaconsfield. There's a public meeting being hosted um, by the Berwick Group of the Australian Plant Society. Um, it's on saving the helmeted honeyeater from extinction. Now, many people will be familiar with this bird, which is our state bird emblem, and the fact that um, it has been saved from extinction virtually up at Yellingbow near Hillsville. But um, it has also 
been sort of, well, probably people have known for a long while. It also occurred in the Cardinia Beaconsfield area some years ago until it was wiped out in Ash Wednesday on 1983. Mm. It's no longer in that area, but the Friends of the Helmeted Honey Eater group have been very successful in raising um, chicks of the Helmeted mm. Honey Eater. And rather than I have them all main, in... Mainly Hillsville Sanctuary. I don't know whether the Friends actually did the raising. Ah, the... uh, right. Hillsville Sanctuary, but assisted um, by the yeah, Friends uh, of the Helmeted mm-hmm. Honey Eater because they assist in a number of ways in caring for these little birds. And were they released into the wild, were they? Oh, they have been at Yellingbow yeah, and that. Lovely. But that's sort of in one area. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, if there was to bushfires through again, it would be in that area, it would yeah. be very vulnerable. So there's quite a move at the moment to reintroduce them into this card Sardinia area where they once occurred Uh, and so on this Sunday the 10th of April at 2pm Bob Anderson who's been involved with the Helmeted Honey Eater Group for 27 years and he's been friends of the I think he still might be friends of the Helmeted Honey Eater Group he's going to be speaking it's going to be held at the Beaconsfield Community Centre O'Neill Road in Beaconsfield uh, and if anybody wants any further information on that, you can ring 877-42483. That's Fantastic. me. Mm. On to you, Roger. Right, there's a couple of gardens open on 16th and 17th of April. They're up in the Wood End region. Both are gardens by Paul Bangay. Now, Paul Bangay is highly renowned as a a landscape designer with, a, I suppose you would say, an emphasis on formality. But um, the first one that we mentioned is the Garden of St Ambrose. Now, this is a country estate originating way back to 1888. And so this garden will be open. Admission is $20 and that's payable at the gate. It's cash only, so no FPOST facilities. Um, so this, this property is really steeped in history, so it's a rare opportunity. It hasn't been opened, I don't think, for more than 10 years. And uh, botanical a, um, artist Craig Lidgerwood will be displaying his latest artworks over those two days. So it's $20 admission. Children under 12 are free. Not too friendly for wheelchairs. Refreshments are available. It, if you wanted to travel by rail to Woodend Railway Station. It's a, a nice, it says a short one kilometre stroll. I don't know whether you can have a short or a long, but <laughs> the, anyway, it's about it one, ki- hey, <laughs> one, <laughs> one kilometre from the Woodend Railway Station. Now, the address is 7 Wood Street, Woodend, and if you want some further information, you can email saint.com. Ambrose Farm, one word, sorry, st.ambrosefarm at bigpond.com. So that's uh, a great opportunity, especially seeing the garden hasn't been open for such a long time. And on the same day is another one of Paul's gardens, and this is his own garden, Stonefields, and it's open from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. I should have mentioned with the St Ambrose one, that's open at 9am to 4pm on that 16th and 17th of April. But uh, Paul's Garden is at 20 Belty, B-E-L-T-Y Drive, Denver. And uh, this is open 
being opened uh, because all the proceeds go to support the Stephanie Alexander Kitchen Garden Foundation. And uh, so pre-purchase your tickets for $25 and you can go to www.kitchengardenfoundation.org.au forward slash stonefields. But if you want to pay on the day, you get their $30 for tickets and uh, there's cash or credit only but no FPOS. So both of those gardens are open on the 16th and 17th of April. St Ambrose open from 9am to 4pm and Stonefields Garden open from 10am to 4pm. So that uh, could be a great day out in that, that region. Yeah, so, uh, Roger, last uh, Sunday I went up to Simon Rickard's uh, garden at Trent- mm. Trent- Trentham. He had his uh, g- garden op- open for the day. And, you know, so you, it's great to go to these gardens, aren't they? You've got inspiration, you, things that things, you see things that you don't think of. And uh, it, it, Simon Rickard's garden up there is terrific. You know, he's such a, a thorough man. He's got these... Uh, Front garden that uh, haven't got any flowers in it because he doesn't want to change from year to year, from from season to season rather, and so it's grasses and coloured foliage plants that stay all the time. And he's got a little uh, pro- private garden with with his hedged, and uh, he's got his summer perennials there and a windy track. It's really be- beautifully well laid out. A shade garden where where the, the next door tr- trees come over and. Helly boards there, he said, would look terrific in the winter, a lot of bulbs in there. And then he's got his vegetable garden and laid out, you know, so, so, so uh, 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 just systematically sort of thing with the, the, these beds. And he had a ma- ma- massive vegetable garden and also a bam- bamboo garden. And uh, just to see it all was really, really great. You know, you come away from these things with them. one thing I came away from there was he, he, he puts his bamboo, they were. Uh, not the clumping bamboo, but bam- bamboo that uh, 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 you know can be aggressive. But he mm. puts them on a little mound and then a little bit of a a, 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 a moat, if you like, around okay. the outside, okay. and, uh, and they can't really because they're fairly shallow rhizomes of the bamboo. They don't get away, and so he gets some of the beautiful you know, canes of yellows and uh, or, or, or even orange coloured uh, yeah, stems. Yeah. They're really lovely. Yeah, I, so follow, I follow Simon on yeah. Instagram and he has okay. exceptional photos of his garden. There's always something yeah. incredible popping up. Yeah, too right. And he, he knows where every one comes from. If you talk about it, oh, he knows yeah. the botanical names of, you know, there's a few hundred uh, things in there. So, uh, and uh, beats me how he remembers <laughs> all, the, all, all these things. And uh, just... Uh, uh, he, he knows if you want that plant, he can say, you know, you can get it from such and such nursery. He's got, got, got all, the, all the contacts there. Great, the great guy. I was privileged to go to the uh, uh, Cherry Blossom tour this time last year, and Simon was our guy. That uh, He was the horticulturist that let, let, let us around. Great guy. Sorry, I'm getting off the beaten track. track, track, track my, my announcement there is the famous Cruden Farm, open, open day, come uh, Sunday the 17th. There's a few things happening on Sunday the 17th. Uh, 10 a.m. to 3, 3, 3 p.m. Uh, the funds go to the supporting medical research in heart disease and diabetes. Uh, 
We've got uh, Cruden Farm. The address there is Cranhaven Road, Langwarren, Victoria. Melway's reference there is 103G6. Free parking, no pets allowed. The charge there is $25, going to good cause. Children under 18 are free. Group discounts of 10 or more, $20 each. Available on the day or pre-purchase. They've got a whole lot of things going, going there, OB. We've got things like healthy cooking demos, raffles, children's activities, uh, fresh produce, refreshments available, live chamber music, sausage sizzles, and a Jaguar Club Victoria's display. So what more can you ask Beautiful. for? Beautiful. A lot of things so, going on down there. Sounds like a good day. The telephone number there, if people are interested, is 1300 Fantastic. Now, we haven't officially opened our lines yet, but um, Kerry has been very quick off the bat. Kerry from Wrighton. Good morning, Kerry. Good morning. Um, I'm wondering if you could give me some advice on a very, very large elm tree. I gather it's about 100 years old in my mother's front garden, and it's suckering in the neighbour's garden. And I'm wondering what we should do. It also, she feels that it pulled up a pipe, but this is the, she wants us to cut it down, and uh, it's a huge tree. And my mother's 98, and it would kill her to cut it down. So, and I can't imagine the council letting us cut it down. I was wondering if you could give us some advice on what to do. Um, it's, that's a difficult, difficult um, thing to solve in a way because probably some of those roots have been damaged, I would think, next door or wherever, and uh, when they've been damaged, the suckers come up. All you can do, I think, is maybe just cut the suckers off right as close as you can to the main root. Uh But but they'll still keep suckering. How how, how far away is it from the fence line, the, the, the tree? from her fence line. Well, it's very strange. It doesn't suck it in my mother's garden, mm. but it suckers in her... I can't find anything in my mother's garden, mm. but it suckers in her garden and another neighbour's garden. I've seen suckers coming up. Mm, big, big um, tree like that, yes. It's huge, yeah. huge. See, I think Roger perhaps gave the solution to that in that when you are digging or forking or something and you hit one of those roots, that's where the sucker develops from. Now, mm. maybe mum who's 98 hasn't been digging around the roots in her side of the fence, but no. the neighbours have been, and so that's ah. what's initiated the suckers. But maybe if you talk to the people at council and if they say, um, no, that tree should stay, um, that will... <laughs> Absolve, you know, your mm, need to, um, sure, sure. to be drastic yeah. with, you know, mum being the age she is. Just another thing, Gwen, that comes to mind is that there's, there's a product called Root Barrier and uh, if your mother, mother could get someone to dig a trench between the tree and the, 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 the neighbour and, and drop a root barrier down there. Sorry, can you spell that? A root? Root barrier, yes, like, the, you know, a, a barrier. Oh, barrier, root yes. barrier. Yeah, uh-huh. root barrier. All right. And then, okay. and then the neighbour, if she kept, like Reggie said, the, the, the suckers under control, eventually that, that will all die out and she won't have the further, you know, problem with the sap from or the, the runners from the root runners from the elm tree. Mm. Oh, that sounds excellent. And it wouldn't it, damage the tree, you know, make it well, fall that, over it. No, it no. depends on just how close, how close is the tree to the fence? Uh, quite close to the fence, mm. I'd say. Oh, it's very, actually, it's very close. Okay. Yeah, that's mm. tricky because then those roots are going to be spreading for a long way. Yeah, sure. Although they have, you know, I've seen 
trees where half the roots are taken out in subdivisions and things, and they still still hang hang in there. But uh, yeah. Yeah, Kerry, mm. it is a tricky one, and it might just be a maintenance problem. You know, a maintenance issue where you're continuously just removing, as Roger was saying, removing the suckers that are popping up as close as possible to the root. Right, and it's not worth putting anything on the suckers themselves. Uh, if you start doing that, you might end up affecting the rest of the tree. Uh-huh, okay. Yeah. Oh, fine. Well, thank you so much for your help. Okay. Thanks, Kerry. Okay. Sorry we Thanks. couldn't be more help. <laughs> no, thank you anyhow. Right, bye for now. Bye-bye. That is a tricky situation, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so you are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show, and with me in the studio are Gwen and Roger Elliott and Graham Morrison. And um, as I mentioned earlier this morning... We are talking with Kate Blood, who is the Statewide Senior Project Officer Invasive Species at the Department of Environment, Land, Water and Planning. Kate is on the line with us now. Good morning, Kate. Good morning. Thank you very much for talking to us. Pleasure. Now, you are the author of Environmental Weeds, a Field Guide for Southeast Australia, as well as numerous other weed guides and handbooks. You've worked at the department for about 28 years, and I also know from your bio that you were interested in weeds as a child. So tell me, what is the fascination? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it started very early in, uh, in my family. Uh, my mum my was a really keen bird watcher and uh, we used to go bird watching down to uh, Aries Inlet, Anglesey, places like that. And uh, while she was looking up with uh, binoculars up into the trees, uh, then she'd show me all the wildflowers, all the orchids and stuff like that. And, uh, and then we'd look at the bone seed that was starting to take over the orchids. So, um, I, I had a, an early start um, learning about bone seed and other things, so uh, that, that's where it started. Sounds like you were quite protective of the native flora. Yes, that's, that's always been, I guess, the driving force is to, uh, to try and look after the environment, our uh, native grasslands and bushland areas. Yeah, now, I mean, most of us know the horror stories about things like Patterson's Curse, Agapanthus, Watsonia, jumping the garden fence and becoming naturalised in the bush. Is the problem of garden escapees worsening? I don't know that we're getting um, new, more species necessarily, but I think the, the, the rolling of the weed uh, front... I'd, I don't know how to, how to picture, uh, explain it, but it's, it's like the various bits of bushland um, all over the country are just slowly being rolled over with a carpet of weeds, mm-hmm. whether it's periwinkle or pampas grass or whatever. Um, so without uh, human intervention, that, that uh, decline of our natural areas is just going to continue. Yeah, so are we talking mostly weeds that have come spread from gardens or or um, are they just coming in from other places, like, you know, from hay, hay seeds and uh, horse manure and things like that? Well, I, I think uh, in, in Australia, uh, particularly in Victoria around Melbourne, um, probably up to 70% of our weeds are actually of garden origin. Mm, that's a lot. So that's a pretty, pretty big, significant number. I mean, typically people think, oh, it's a new agricultural weed, a thistle that's coming with it, contaminated crops 
seed or something like that. But the majority of uh, plants that affect our bushland areas are of garden origin. Right. And, and what types of garden plants have got the potential to become weeds? Anything that is able to uh, sustain itself in our climate, including our changing climate, is able to establish and reproduce itself and spread um, has has some potential. Uh, and there's so many different types, all different shapes and sizes, from invasive mosses to grasses, aquatic plants, climbers, up, up to tall, very tall trees. Yeah, yeah. So are there particular garden plants that we would try and avoid planting, like we would just not have them in the garden full stop? There is a long list of... Long list of <laughs> 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 uh, yes, and uh, Roger and Gwen know these very well. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of the things, the groups of plants that uh, I'm particularly interested in at the moment are the cactus and succulent. Um, it, it's like everything... We have uh, trends in garden plants, fashions that come and go, and we see that represented in the weeds uh, out in the natural environment. Mm. So <clears throat> things from the, the last drought that were quite popular, um, cactus and succulent, ornamental grasses that are fairly drought tolerant, um, we see them increasingly popping up out in the natural environment because they're carried out of gardens by birds. Uh, the seeds or fruit are carried out or they're washed down drains or blown by the wind. Or mm, what happens a lot is that people uh, chop back their garden plants and then they dump it over the back fence or over the creek line, um, out in the forest, the tip's closed or they don't want to pay the fee. So they dump their garden waste and that's a very common way that uh, garden plants are carried out into natural areas. Yeah, sure. And what about if people, I mean, people are being responsible, they're tidying up their own garden and they're putting in the, in the green waste. Is that green waste getting composted down enough so that it's not going to be spreading these plants? There are Australian standards on uh, processing green waste at transfer stations and tips. Yeah. Um, so if, if those standards are being followed, then the majority of weed seeds and buds like runners and rhizomes and bulbs should be killed in the composting process. My, my concern is that if things are just going through a big chipper into a pile and then straight out in trailers as mulch, then that, there is a high likelihood that invasive garden plants will be carried in that material. No, that, that's right, Kate. I, I just can think of an Australian plant, Hachia salicifolia, which has sometimes been, you see it in just wood chip mulch, you know. Yeah. And lo and behold, you can see just lots and lots of seedlings coming up in where that's been distributed. And I know at one stage it was even distributed on the foothills of the Dandenongs. Mm. So, you know, you get that sort of thing happening too yeah. just because it hasn't been properly composted and, and people aren't too sure sometimes. The operators, they often don't know whether the plants they're mulching uh, are dangerous plants anyway. Mm. I, I hear a lot, oh, I had this new plant arrive in my garden. I've never planted it. And yes. just, what is it? And uh, highly likely that by the coming in mulch or, uh, or 
other material that you've brought into the garden or a bird has carried it in from a surrounding area. Yeah, Kate, I know that we stopped bringing in horse manure quite a few years ago now for that very reason because it was so weedy, but I noticed we're still getting new weeds and then I realised, of course, it's I, I buy plenty of hay for the chickens and um, to use as mulch and, of course, that would be bringing in its own weeds as well. Yes, uh, mulch, baled straw, even though straw is not supposed to have much in the way of seed, there are always other plants growing in amongst the crop or in harvested hay for um, pasture grasses for hay. They're always uh, full of different plants that grow on in your garden. And would you say it's a problem not only for properties near bushland but also in the burbs as well? Definitely. Melbourne in particular has uh, many, many little pocket handkerchief reserves creek lines uh, all through it, dotted all through it and those areas are just daily, on a daily basis being bombarded with seeds of surrounding garden plants that are being brought in by birds foxes, possums down drainage lines so they are under incredible pressure uh, from weed invasion From a perspective from a fruit grower that's uh, not into this very much at all uh, I just it, it amuses me that uh, our native plants can be uh, deemed as weeds. Can you explain, you know, how that comes about? Well, some uh, some of uh, Australia's uh, native plants, because our continent is so big, um, plants, for example, that have come from Western Australia that never grew naturally in Victoria. We've planted them uh, in gardens or early on last century as, as re-vegetation plants. Sure. They've started to invade into bushland areas and elbow out the local native plants yeah, and take over. And in some situations, they're hybridising uh, with our local natives. So, for example, some of our wattles, uh, the Cootamundra wattle from New South Wales, for example, sure. is hybridising with some of our local wattles. Mm. And so that starts to pollute or change the gene pool of our local plants too. Okay, thank you. Yeah. So what do you think uh, some of us can do about it, Kate? I, I think uh, it starts uh, with the home gardener. And if you're not wanting to purchase uh, plants in the first place, from uh, growers, nursery trade and so on. It helps to reduce the demand for these plants Mm -hmm. if you're not sourcing them. Uh, If you can look at your garden in a holistic way and think, okay, I know that those four plants in my garden are really bad for local bushland, over time I'm going to replace them with safer alternatives. So I'm not suggesting just go in and completely clear your garden unless it's something you want to do um, but start to remove some of the, the worst plants for local areas remove those first and then replace them with safer alternatives get good advice, there's information on the internet, some nurseries are very uh, practised at giving good advice uh, about this. And even and some councils too provide, oh, a lot of councils, provide, yeah. provide yes. booklets or, you know, or publications with alternatives too. Yes, uh, there's a, uh, a nursery industry site called uh, Grow Me Instead, uh, booklets and so on. Um, and so over time you're removing 
those plants that are going to start impacting on your local bushland areas and uh, you'll have a, a safer garden. Yeah, and I guess even if you are being as responsible as you can be and you think, oh, I'm not spreading the weeds around and I'm disposing of them correctly, there, of course, is the birds and the, and the wind which is, is, can potentially be spreading them for you. That's right. That's There's right. a lovely tree called um, Aliacarpus reticulatus, blueberry ash, yes. and that's going to be a weed problem. I just, mm. just know because sometimes under plants they just come up in their hundreds and uh, you know if you're just near a bit of bush area which is like to be a little bit moist uh, or even not too moist that's one plant that's uh, that's going to be a problem mm, actually Kate you're in charge of the um, the project called weeds at the early stage of invasion can I mean maybe what Roger's talking about is relevant to that can you talk us through this a bit Certainly, this project uh, is working with public land managers around Victoria. So that's Department of Environment, Land, Border and Planning staff and also Parks Victoria staff. Uh, We're trying to uh, help them make better uh, decisions about those early invaders that are just popping up in their their patch of uh, public land that they look after. So this could be a national park, a bushland reserve, state forest those kind of areas. So we've developed uh, a number of guides uh, that help them work through that process because it can be quite complex uh, making decisions about, you know, for example, if I've got a a big uh, national park and I've got 300 invasive species in it of plants, how do I decide which one I am going to treat Mm. Uh, because we don't have the budget to do everything. So uh, let's make a better decision about, okay, this early invader uh, is going to uh, just cover the national park. Let's get rid of that one now while it's much easier and cheaper to get rid of uh, than waiting for it to become, you know, really well established and common. Uh, so that that's the kind of thing that we do. We uh, help our staff learn about this process, how to identify weeds, uh, and so we're doing various training activities uh, around the state to help staff and learn the, how to use these tools. And so the, by public land managers, they're the uh, forest rangers? Uh, they could be uh, forest rangers, planning staff, um, all manner of titles of people who work on invasive species. Sure, and I guess they're also relevant, um, like the guides that you put out are also relevant for, uh, you know, uh, groups, you know, that have um, land care groups and friends of groups? Definitely. Uh they could also be relevant for um, catchment management authority, local government uh, staff, but also private landholders who have uh, natural vegetation on their properties. Um, these guides would be relevant for them as well. It, it takes you through uh, a logical process on how to actually search for the new weeds, uh, early invaders, how to identify them, uh, work out what risk do they pose to my area, then how to work out how far they've spread, is it feasible to uh, to eradicate them if that's the aim, and then how to do an eradication plan and implement that. 
Sure. Now, the guides are available for downloading at uh, www.delwp.vic.gov.au forward slash early invaders, early invaders with a dash. And um, so the, 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 um, the guides, yeah, they're not just relevant for professionals. Anyone can go and download them. And, you know, if you've got a bit of uh, land around your home, you can use those out on that land. Is that, is that what they're used for, Kate? Yes, uh, they have a wide application, yes. Yeah, sure. And um, now I was in doing a bit of research, I came across the term weed spotters and I was just wondering who they were and um, it sounds like you might have to wear a cape when you go out into the bush. <laughs> I'm just wondering who they were and can anybody become one? <laughs> well, the, uh, I'm, I'm in the Department of uh, Environment, Land, Water and Planning and weed spotters are looked after by the Department of Economic Development. Uh, so they, um, they do training with volunteers uh, and professionals and people who are interested in that can call our customer service centre number on 136 186 and uh, inquire about weed spotters through there. Um, but they typically are searching for a very small list of the state prohibited weeds in yep. Victoria. These are declared under legislation as very you know, high risk plants. Absolutely. And I notice also there's um, a couple of weed conferences coming up. There's the Australasian Weeds Conference, which is in Perth from the 11th to 15th of September. And um, if anybody is interested in attending that, that the uh, website for that is www20, as in 20 awc.org.au and there's also the Victorian conference at uh, Creswick from 7th to 9th of June and the website for that is www.wsvic.org.au Kate, are you going to be um, speaking at either of those? Uh, I hope to uh, be speaking uh, certainly at the Australian one. Uh, my colleague, Beck James, will be talking at the Victorian one. Um, they're really great opportunities to uh, network with people who work on invasive species and uh, they always produce really good proceedings. So even if you can't get there, you can uh, read about all the current uh, activities that are going on around the place to do with weeds, and uh, they're, they're really good, uh, good engagement activities. So if, if you're interested in, in weeds uh, and you've got some uh, good news stories to tell, I know that the abstracts for the Australasian Weeds Conference close on Wednesday, so if you want to actually go to Perth and present your information, uh, that's a great opportunity. Yeah, well, the good thing is I know there are a lot of... Um, there's a lot of websites around that can help with weed situations, so, um, yeah. Kate, I hope you don't mind me getting in specifics, but in my area of ed edible plants, I hear rumours that... Uh, uh, three plants that we sell in our nurse nurseries, one, one, one being guavas, two uh, olives, and three uh, banana passion fruits. Have you got any just uh, off the off the hat? I think uh, she's cursing you, Graham. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> Damn those banana uh, passion Graham, fruits. <laughs> I, I see uh, a lot of olive plants 
uh, around where I live. I'm out in the west of the state, and when I drive towards the Grampians uh, and further north, I see a lot of olives growing on roadsides where they've been carried out of gardens and plantations. Um, And banana passion fruit, certainly in the wet forest areas, uh, probably in the Dandenongs, places like that, you'd find it. Um, smothering trees. Yes, it's a big, vigorous um, thing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, guavas. I've not uh, not seen uh, myself, uh, but I have heard that they are invasive in some areas. In some areas, yeah. Probably, okay. probably more in the subtropical and tropical areas. Yeah, yeah. depends depends yeah. on the species. Yeah, yeah. Mm, yeah. yeah. Well, Kate, um, I guess we could talk weeds all day, but we better <laughs> let you go and enjoy your ESA. So, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Absolute pleasure, and you enjoy the rest of your long weekend. Thank you. Good on you. Thanks, Kate. Bye for now. Bye. Great, and I guess we should go straight to one of our callers. We've got Alex from Beaconsfield. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, AB, and uh, I think you're wonderful for working on a public holiday. (laughs) Well, first I thought... Maybe you're all desperate for work, but then I decided that you're all lovely people who help bug like me, so thanks for that. That's all right. All <laughs> volunteers get double pay today. Yeah, right, double yeah. pay. This is the same, same as single pay, actually. That just put the wind up me, though. Following uh, Kate's discussion, which was very interesting, I've got heliocarpus growing here because I'm so old that Kevin Hines raved on about how wonderful it was and uh, I think it's a good plant to grow. Mm. I'd be about two or three kilometres from bushland. Do you think birds would take it that far? Mm, Maybe. Oh, I'll feel guilty then. I won't cut it out yet. (laughs) Maybe take yourself for a wander through the bushland and see if you can see any popping up. Yeah, and I do that occasionally, so I'll have a look. Hey, uh, I've really got two questions. Pruning Grevillea longestyla. It's been in for three years, and I decided to keep tip pruning it to make it reasonably compact. But now it's grown into quite a sizable bush and it's wanting to cover over a compost bin and things like that. I'm wondering how much I can cut it back. Could I cut back one side of it perhaps to half the length that it is at present? Yeah, you can do that, Alex. The thing is, um, it's a plant that does respond very well to pruning. Um, Monash University, they used to have hedges of it over there, mainly because most of the gardeners were Italian <laughs> uh, market gardeners, and that's all they, you know, main thing they knew what to do was to prune. And but no, you can cut back, and if you can, uh, even if you do it, you know, staged, so, so that you take some out, and then hopefully that will promote growth from the bottom, and also tip pruning as you go. But no, look, you can prune that, okay? It uh, it can take quite hard pruning. Good. Well, I'll act on that. Uh, what about glyphosate? Just yesterday, a young lady told me that it's carcinogenic and I shouldn't have it in my garden. I shouldn't ever use it. I do. I don't use it a lot, but I do use it to spray paths and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I certainly use it when we cut and paste potostrum that are in, is invading bushland areas. Yep. But I'm wondering, is there any evidence 
of a connection between glyphosate and cancer, or is this just one of the urban myths that comes up? No, I think there's quite strong evidence now. I think in the Netherlands they've you can't use it's banned, it's I think banned in, in the Netherlands. several European France, countries yeah. in mm. France oh. and uh, yeah there's quite strong um, initially we were told that once it hits the soil it breaks down and it's harmless but that's not the case um, and can stay around for quite a while is there an alternative that comes to mind alternative for me is something like a propane torch um, which is uh, yeah, just a, a basically a flamethrower for the garden and it um, gets to all of those little weeds that you've got coming up in your path. A lot of councils are using a hot water yes, spray right. now. That's that exactly right, boiling yeah. Water. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, Rather yes, than the yes, flame. True, true, but, um, true. There's another one called just hand weeding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It's a bit hard in time. It's just mathematic. Well, I'll take your comments seriously. And thanks again for working on Easter Sunday. <laughs> Thank Good you, on Good you Alex. Alex. Thank thanks you. for that. Bye, Bye for now. Uh, you are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. My name is A.B. Bishop and with me in the studio are Gwen and Roger Elliott and Graham Morrison. It's time now, even though people have been calling through, to invite our listeners to join us. So um, if you've got a question or a comment or want to know where to drop off all the Easter eggs, uh, we'd love to hear from you. So to talk to us on air, you can call 9419 or to have a chat with Liz on the outside line, the number is 94198377. So the on-air line, 94190155. And uh, we've got somebody waiting. We've got Lenny in Heidelberg. Good morning, Lenny. Oh, good morning, panel. Thank you for holding. Happy Easter to you all. Happy Easter. Happy Easter to you all. Um, okay. You can hear me okay? Sorry. Absolutely. Yeah, fine. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Um, look, um, I spoke to Gwen one time when she was in Karanga a long, long time ago, and she gave me some fantastic advice for um, screening some newly built um, double-storey units next door. She suggested the Chinese lantern, which has been an absolute lifesaver. So I'm actually calling back for some more fantastic advice, again, to screen um, more double-storey units. <laughs> <laughs> from a different side um, and yes I just wanted to throw it uh, to the panel, I have been to some nurseries and um, I've gotten you know the usual lilipili, pitosrum kind of um, mm -hmm. advice but I was really after something a little bit different um, and unusual for, for that purpose okay. How much uh, space do you have Lenny like, as in width wise? Uh, look, width-wise, there's quite a lot of space because this time is at the front of the house, so it's opposite um, the front which they're building. There is a road in between, and I've just started to um, rejig the front garden in order to accommodate larger plants. So um, the, the grass is gone. I've got a turf cutter in and um, changed it into um, wood chips and the um, heavy mulched and um, sides sort of all around. So it's, um, it's quite a big an expanse at the front. I've got about 15 metres, but I do have some 
plants in there already. Um, but I was hoping, you know, a couple of trouble spots where they can, um, depending on the angle, they can see into the bedroom and into the living room. Mm-hmm. I wanted to put something um, substantial but non-invasive um, and obviously something um, evergreen. Um, three to four metres, and, oh, dear Lord, the list just goes on. So I just sort of throw it over to you. Yeah, look, there's a good plant, I think. Uh, Acacia cognata, lime magic, if you like, slightly yellowish foliage. Mm -hmm. That keeps quite dense, and it's one of those plants that you can prune back, you know, just to even dense it up more if you wish. Um, And it's quick-growing. It'll get to, it might get to five metres. Ah, okay. Um, also. And that's the one that has quite, the foliage is, well, appears quite soft, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is, yeah, soft, yeah. Yeah, I think But it's are. very dense, dense, dense foliage. Okay. Yeah. Does it have a specific, um, you know how some of them usually last about eight to, to nine years? Does yep. this one have... A little bit, a bit longer than that. Mm-hmm. Yep, mm-hmm. it'll go... But I think if you're wanting something longer lived, I was sort of uh, uh, situations like this. You sometimes need things that are there yesterday almost. And I was thinking of three things. Um, one sort of for almost instant could be a tree dahlia, which I know at one stage we planted at our daughter's place in Northcote when she needed something instant. Won't, won't screen too much, but I know what you mean. Yeah, but yeah. something like that that's almost an annual. Um, then an acacia was my next thought, which will be, you know, a year later we'll be getting up to the height you want sort of thing almost. Right. And then at the same time as that, which I know we have done in uh, previous properties, is plant um, a long-term ideal plant which might take five years to get to the size you want. Okay. And I know Roger's planning there was then he'd take out the wattle and the other tree would take over, but he fell in love with the wattle and never <laughs> took it out before we moved to my recollection. But, you know, if you are thinking, okay, the acacia is only going to last five years, mm-hmm. don't wait until year four to put in um, a highly desirable magnolia or whatever you want to put in that's going to be slower growing and get there. So right. plant two, two or three plants now knowing that um, A is going to be quick growing and B is going to be long term. Right, and for that, um, the long term, the one that might take, you know, five years to, um, so we would see some height. You mentioned magnolia. Is there anything else you would point me to? That was just off the top of my head for another name. Just, 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 if you like, a couple of things came to my mind there. Number one, I did go out to Bamboo Grove. Uh, a couple mm. of week, weeks ago, it was a part of the Sustainable Gardening Australia push, and there's these clumping bamboos, mm. very pretty, you know, uh, uh, stems to them. You could get colours like orange and yellows, and and uh, a lot of uh, dappled d- 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 dappled caning there. And, and if you were interested, if you googled bamboo grove there are uh, a, a couple of people that used to be in landscaping that used to come into my nursery and they've got this thing going and if you go over there they've got a lot of sampling you know where they, they show you that those particularly clamp, clumping bamboos that are non-invasive can, can, can make, make the deal. The other one Roger I just wanted is strep, streptocarpus the 
is it the spinning wheel? Stenocarpus. Stenocarpus. A good, a good long-term tree, yeah. and it probably, mm. you know, to get up to five metres high, it might take. I'm sorry, what was the name of that last one again? Stenocarpus. Yeah, it's a fire wheel tree. Yeah, beautiful flowers to it. Stenocarpus sinuatus is its name. Thank you. Would you? Can I trouble you terribly to stop? Yeah, no, look fine. I think I'm missing a few yeah. here. All right. It's S-T-E-N-O-C-A-R-P-U-S. Beautiful, yes. And then the species name is sinuatus, S-I-N-U-A-T-U-S. Beautiful. Now, um, for it to get up to three metres, I'd say you might need seven years. Oh, wow. But if you do combine it with some other things... Okay, yeah. ...be fine. It it would like to to do well. It it needs plenty of sunshine, Mm -hmm. warm spot, and uh, thick, no, not thick, quite large, dark green glossy leaves. Okay. And these brilliant orangey red wheels of flower. It's in the Protea family. Oh, okay, lovely. A couple of others, mauve balls on Melaleuca nesophila, N-E-S-O-P-H-I-L-A. Roger's shaking his head. You're not too sure? Oh, look yeah, at I missed that. You were too quick for me. <laughs> yeah. um, look, you, you could go, you know, check one of the, the local nurseries yeah. and there are really quite a number we could suggest, you know, some small eucalyptus like leucoxalan. Yeah. Um, there are quite a few that we could suggest. So check either... You know, get local advice, which yeah. is, I think, a good thing for everybody to do. See what's growing around in your area. Have a look at what's growing around in your area. And um, there's quite a lot you could choose from for the longer-term tree. And the good thing is, Lenny, you know the height that you want and you know the area that you've got, so you'll be able to go in and say, this is how tall I want it, this is the soil I've got, this is the width I want it to be. And, yeah, a lot of nurseries will be able to help you out. Mm. Okay. Lovely, thank you so much for your advice. Good yeah. on Have you. Have a great uh, Easter. You too. Thanks, Lenny. Bye. Yeah, bye. Yeah, it is uh, a bit tricky, that, isn't it? Just um, trying, trying to narrow down your yeah, choices, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. But I think Gwen was on the right track. You probably need a, a combination of different heights, too. Yes. Mm. And yeah. I think the bamboo was a better idea yeah. than my tree dahlia, but I that was the one that came <laughs> to mind as something that just gets there quickly. Yeah, yeah. Too, too and sometimes, too, too. you know, if you've yeah. got a window overlooking your lounge room, you want something yeah. yesterday. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, we've had a uh, caller from the outside line, Mem from Carnegie. So, Graeme, this one might be directed at you. Um, she has a very old apricot tree. The bark is splitting and some limbs have died, although there's currently no dead limbs on the tree. But on one of the dead branches, um, when she cut it, there's a there's a dark ring inside. Is this um, indicative of a disease? Do you think? Yeah, uh, you know, an apricot tree. When it sounds, it's an old one and dropping li- li- limbs like that, and you get uh, fungus disease like polystichthys come, come, comes into the w- 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 wounds and things, which that well well, well could be. And I think if to my, it may be the time to take it to take the ball by the horns and, and, and take it out and, and have another go. I think I did see on, on the on the bottom of that uh, request she was wondering whether indeed you could put a uh, an apricot back in the same hole without any worries and to my knowledge it would be fine there's okay. no real leftover uh, uh, 
soil-borne uh, fungus diseases that, that, that would worry the tree. So if she does take it out, put a new one in. The old moor park is probably your best bet. Sure, and um, she's got quite sandy soil, so she'd obviously need to yeah, be building that sure. up with a bit of compost yeah, and sure. aged manure yeah, and that yeah, sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. It, it needs fertiliser like animal manure and, and compost. Yeah, You're right, yeah. On, right on. Yes. Sure, and now she does have a second question uh, for Joa. Uh, why has why does the fajoa have thick skin? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> as, as opposed to some of us uh, radio people. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I think, uh, Mem, uh, you know, unfortunately most of the fajoas grown around the place are from seed and there's quite a bit of variability there and some, some would probably have a, a thicker skin than others. The other thing, if it's a, it's a young tree, often with uh, fruiting of young trees, the skin seems to be quite a bit thicker than when they m- m- mature, and it, it may improve with age, like, like, like myself. Yeah, right. <laughs> and so what about applying um, phosphate and things like that just to improve the flowering and, and fruit <coughs> quality? Yes, I, I, I suppose so. I, I think that uh, I doubt whether you'd uh, ch- change the thickness of the skin by your fertiliser regime. Yeah. But uh, you know they're a good tough a tough plant. I have one, one, one in my own uh, own garden, and we've grown them for years. There, you let them drop on the ground, and they, then the uh, ethylene that escapes uh, uh, makes the, the the fruit mature, and uh, it's a it's a worthwhile tree. A lovely you know vivid red red, red red flower to it. Indeed, a lot of people don't know that the the petals of the feed jar are, are su- sweet. The, the birds know about it. You can see that they, 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 they pick them off sometimes. But uh, some people, if they know about that, they can put the petals of the feed jar into their salad, salads and things. things. Lovely. But uh, I think uh, there was a push a few years ago. I think Scoresby Horticultural Research Station got a few specific varieties over from New Zealand. Mm. And uh, and they, they, they were gra- grafted and, and sold. But you don't. it, it was... A fairly fiddly thing to do, I think, the grafting thing. Oh, that's right. I, I can remember mm. I, I had some trial plants, or one oh, yes. one trial plant from yeah. Knoxfield. It was triple yes. grafted. Yes, yeah. And it, oh, it was only fair. Yeah, yeah okay. they didn't, sure. Didn't mm. They've got a propensity to sucker a bit too, and mm. that's sort of you've got to keep the suckers away from the, the un, un, under, under the graft thing, and it becomes a bit of a problem. But it's a pity it hadn't been pushed a bit further because you know once you get a, a good variety uh, and, and you can uh, you know, from a seed they're so variable but of course when you take, take the cutting from the good variety and you splice it into a, a seedling you've got the good variety there Yeah, yeah. actually mum asked me an interesting question which I didn't know the answer to and how many fruit trees these days are grafted? <laughs> yeah well my, 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 most of them really uh, some Exceptions are the ones that they grow from cutting, like fig figs, uh, some, some of the others. No, mostly, well, certainly commercially grown fruit, fruit trees. Are. There was a push again uh, for growing citrus trees from cu- cu- cuttings. Yep. But, uh, they, they have, 
I think, you know, with all due respects to the ones that are like lots of lemons that's grown grown from cuttings, that's quite quite successful. But I think their their root system, particularly their vulnerability to phytophthora, uh, is probably uh, a bit suspect with cutting-grown citrus. Right, Mm. right. So it's not only about the dwarfing of the plant, it's also about protecting them? Yeah, sure. There's many many things that can come into the reason why you you, you would graft graft this in. Certainly, like you're su- suggesting, you know, the, the apple, apples today, uh, they're all gra- grafted onto a dwar- dwar- dwarfing st- st- stock so they yep. don't get too big. You don't spend all your life, you know, up, up on a ladder, ladder doing all, 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 all that gear. Uh, so, you know, uh, the, the strength against uh, soil-borne uh, path- pathogens. Uh, some of the, uh, you know, uh, they get a stock that is re- resistant to uh, many, many things, and that that's uh, certainly a, a ploy for for grafting as well. Absolutely. Well, um, it looks like um, whenever Graham's in, there's always heaps of callers about oh, our fruit. So we're speaking with George from Notting Hill. Good morning, George. Oh, good morning, and happy Easter to all. Thanks, George. Um, look, I've got a nectarine tree double graft, which is about seven years old, and unfortunately didn't get into building the shape or the framework very early and now it's about four metres. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the buds are up around the top metre now, you know, just with having cut out disease growth and non-fruiting growth and that. Yes. But I've got the dilemma whether to try and cut it back to maybe, um, I don't know, maybe a metre and then trying to graft onto it. But um, mm-hmm. with stone fruit, Generally, you hear that you're meant to bud and not graft as such, and it has had gamosis and your mm. usual sort of problems with the nectarine. So I'm just sort of wondering what you might suggest I do with it. You know, yeah. Some, yeah, either pull it out or um, yeah. have a go at the grafting. Or yeah, sure. George, George uh, have you still got the you said it was a multi graft? Yeah, huh? it's um, a gold mine and May Grand, I think. Okay, it's yeah. Tree and, and have you got those two there sort of balanced? Yeah, yeah. Did one overtake the other or they still... No, still okay. no yeah. I've got... Um, on, on each side there's two main trunks. Yeah, so that's good. Where I made the mistake was after the initial sort of um, division of the four trunks, I let it get to about enough two metres before the next real series yeah. divisions and that's where yeah. I've got barren growth. It's virtually mm. really open in the centre and all the growth out at the ends and mm. um, yes, yes. I get a lot of water shoots like vertical growth mm. with no buds but then if I let mm. it grow on you know like I said maybe the top maybe gets um, fruit buds on but it's just too high to manage yeah got it got it yeah. yes that's why there's, there's a case for there's the plants that are put onto dwarfing stocks these days. Mm. But I, know, I know you've been looking after it very well, and it's quite vigorous, and it goes right up there, and it's always a problem. But I, I think I tend to bring bring it back, like you say, but maybe bring it back to to to, to two meters uh, from the from, from the ground, sort of thing. Uh, when you do that, you've just got to make sure that you you you, you saw off the limbs to a, 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 a piece of live, you know, wood, uh, like a shoot, I'm trying to say. If, you know, that you can cut off uh, a, a limb and it goes blind on you sort of thing, it, it won't shoot. So you know, where, where possible, if there's still some little buds or, you know, uh, 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 shoots that are green there is probably what you want to cut, cut, cut back to. But then again, when you do that and, and, and you get these water shoots coming up, there's always a possibility of putting buds in. 
two, 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 two times to do that. You can do it in the springtime, all about, about October, November. Yep. And then, uh, you, uh, you know, when they give it, give it about th- three or four weeks and chop the top off and it'll shoot out on you. Otherwise you put, you put the buds in on, uh, uh, this time, this time of the year, Feb- Feb- late February, March. And uh, leave it as a dormant bud through the through the winter. But you know, if you've got just new new, new growth, you 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 can bud rather than graft, as you you were suggesting before. Yes, quite yeah. barren, sort of below two meters, really. Yeah, um, sure. Get, get the odd shoot coming up, but I mm. I sort of even tempted to have a go. At, I know that budding's the right way to do it, but I was mm. tempted to have a go at grafting, like trying yeah. to chop, say, two of the trunks down to maybe a meter, and then yeah, sure. But, but, I'm more yeah. likely to get disease if I do that, am I? Yeah, it's a bit vulnerable, the old yeah. the, the peaches and neck nectarines, but oh, you know they'll last for quite a few years. You put a graft in, you're successful there. Yeah. Yeah, like you say, you know, a cleft graft on those big limbs in the winter time, June, June, July is the time to do that. Yeah, I suppose, you know, again, we were talking about coside before, that's a good fungicide, and uh, you, you keep a bit of that going around, around the place, that, that's good, good for preventing f- f- fungus development there. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just one more quick one. Citrus. What's the right time of year to bud graft? Yes, yeah, again, about that same same sort of time, time timeline. Uh, we, we we used to do so much of it in uh, end of October through through uh, uh, November in you know, uh, early December, and you know you'd give it about three th- th- three weeks, chop the chop the top off, and they, they, they shoot out on you. That's a good time to do it. Oh, okay, thanks for your help. Thank you. Go on, George. Thanks, George. Bye. Yeah, I've uh, taken, grown to, um, got a, a lovely white peach and um, the whole mm. pruning thing can be quite complicated. So I've taken to yeah. pruning half right back one yes. year yes. when and I have no fruit and then yeah. I've got fruit on the yeah. next one and then yeah. I prune yeah. alternately yeah. each good, year. Good, so yeah, I sure. always have fruit. Yeah, yeah. good work. And, good, 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 good work. Yeah. And I think with George's problem, he really admitted that, you know, it's, from a young tree, if you get into it a bit, summer prune sort of thing, and you, you can keep it with, in, in, uh, under control. Uh, whereas uh, you let, let it go and you're feeding it well and m- fertilising it well, it can get out of control. Yeah, and I think also pr- doing a bit of pruning in summer, it's a little bit easier because you can see exactly what's happening with, sure. the, with the shoots, can't yes, you? Yes, you can sure, sure. see you whether can. they're yeah, a newer yeah, shoot yeah, or... Yeah, 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 or if yeah. they're likely to fruit yeah, next sure. year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But you, you get a good... By, by about uh, you know, January, you might, might have two to two foot of growth on if it's look, looked after well. And if, if you... From there on, if you don't prune that uh, particular limb, it keeps on going up, you know, heading up another uh, another foot, 18 in- inches. Whereas if you cut that half back, then, then it, yeah, it's... Lot likely to shoot out side branches rather than continue continue up. And yeah. So would, good would, for George, would it be a good idea to maybe prune it right back and go a year without fruit and just wait to sure. get yes. those yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. smaller branches long and as start can, again? Basically. As long as you can cut back to some, you know, sh- sh- shoots. Yeah. So to take it far too too far back, as I said, things things go a bit blind on you. Yeah. 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 Now, Roger, um, we should also mention the kangaroo kangaroo paw. Oh, Expo fine. that's coming up. Um, I know it's not coming out for a while. No, it's uh, starting to get its own um, kind of um, sense of rhythm, really, isn't it? It's gone, gone a bit berserk. Um, there is going to be a kangaroo paw celebration, a month-long celebration at the Royal Botanic Gardens, Cranbourne, in November. 
So we're just letting people know this is happening and uh, there are quite a lot of things going to be occurring over that month but uh, just to stick it in their diary um, there is going to be lots and lots of kangaroo paws and that they've been planting now down there and there's also been a lot of potting up and the, the growing friends are going to have a whole range of different kangaroo paws and there will be a, a new release one of Angus Stewart's um, new tough and hardy I think he calls them uh, landscape range and Anigazanthus landscape violet is going to be launched on the Saturday 19th of November and that's, that, that weekend will be a, a kangaroo paw picnic and there'll be lots of displays and a whole range of things happening on there and there's a special three day symposium being held later the next week actually 24th to 26th of November and so we've got quite a lot of different people coming Stephen Hopper who's the guru of the kangaroo paw family from Western Australia Stephen was director of uh, Royal Botanic Gardens Q for a while there mm. and he's come back home um, so there's going to be a special day for science and botany then there'll be another day which will be concentrating on people working in botanic gardens, landscape, nurseries and things like that and then on the Saturday it's for all people like us, home gardeners um, and enthusiasts and anyone else so that's going to be a three day thing but that's just November so There'll be lots to learn. It won't be just about kangaroo paw. It'll be about the family. There's yeah. a whole range of other plants and lovely plants called conostylus, which you see a few around, but there's there's a huge number of those, about 80 different conostylus, I think. Um, and they make great garden plants, but there's also bloodroots and a lot of interest in bloodroots now because of uh, some of the chemical properties, medicinal properties for blood roots, uh, they think for, for cancer treatment and things like that and um, and there's some other interesting little things, tribonanthes and flebicarias and things in that family so put it, put it in your diary hey. and uh, can we buy plants there? yep, oh wonderful yeah, you will, you'll have a, have a range of, uh, of plants there, the growing friends of getting that organised excellent so yeah excellent. anyway just just a <coughs> more or less a date claimer beautiful don't plan your holidays for the end of November <laughs> <laughs> but that, that's that's that's, that's, mm, a, that's the plant that's going to be is released that new? that looks gorgeous isn't it eh? yeah it's, a, it's got and uh, Angus has been breeding mm, things that'll be stuff tough and more mm, adaptable some of the smaller kangaroo paws have been around mm, well some of them were only bred for pot culture you know, there's, uh, but uh, so that's a good tough garden landscape yeah, plant. Just looking at the plate here that Roger gave me, it's pur pur purple stems that comes into a sort of violety mauve and bl blends into a green. Yeah, lovely. Look at that. Mm. Absolutely stunning. Mm. Yeah, and look gorgeous on mass, I would imagine. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Now, Roger, you have been um, crazily pruning in the garden. I saw that you brought in a whole heap of plants, but there's one sitting I can see through here that's <laughs> definitely not a native. Oh. I'm uh, just wondering if we can talk about that one. It looks Fine. quite interesting. People often ask me, do you grow anything else but native plants? <laughs> That's right. Apparently, yes. And we do grow. We grow rhubarb, tomatoes, beans, and we've got, a, of all things, a um, 
we were talking about rock melon. weeds and a cantaloupe. <laughs> and a cantaloupe. Came out of our compost heap, oh. and you're talking about weeds that come up in your garden. We thought it was going to be a cucumber, but no, it's full it was going to be an apple cucumber, but it's climbing like mad, and we've got one, one fast-developing rock melon, so whether it'll come in. But anyway, um, no, we've got brought in a few examples of Saracenias. Now, Saracenias are called pitcher plants, a common name. They're North American mainly in eastern America but there's one species that goes up into Canada and from east Canada across to the Rockies but the one I'm holding up here is Saracenia then that's spelt S-A-R-R-A-C-E-N-I-A and um, this is Leucophila L-E-U-C-O-P-H-Y-L-L-A and last week you had a bit of a discussion on botanical terms and stuff. And leucophila, or filler, um, means white leaves. Um, and so these pictures that you get on these plants are actually modified leaves. But they're very good at capturing insects. Um, because they're attracted, there's often sometimes a, a little bit of nice smelly liquid stuff just near the top and the insects go in and then they can't get out and uh, great for European wasps really good mosquitoes and a whole range at the moment we've got four bowls the bowls are probably around about 40 you know might be 50 centimeters diameter and no holes in the bottom that's right Mm. um so you just put a mix in there and uh and they need water. This is the thing a they got a boggy plant. A boggy hmm. plant. They, that's where their habitat is natural <laughs> bogs. And then you get these beautiful things. Leucophila is really very, very attractive because at the top of the the picture you've got the green veins and with white. And also sometimes you do get reddish markings. The enthusiasts who grow these plants get carried away. You know, just with anything that's got a slight variation, they'll stick another name on. <laughs> but um, but there are, are are a great they're a great group, and they're fantastic for kids. You know, if you want to get kids interested yeah. in plants, often they go for Venus flytraps. Well, Venus flytraps are a little bit troublesome. You, you won't keep them for very long usually because kids play with the pit, with the yeah. with the traps and closing them up, and they go brown and things like that. But with the the pitcher plants, you can have. Uh, Big tall one, and then the and flowers. Really long. I mean, that, that's got to be thirty-five centimetres so, tall. Yes, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a yeah. tubular, yeah. modified leaf that stands erect and about yeah. you know forty-five centimetres, eighteen inches tall. Mm. Some are shorter and squatter, but it's really mm. quite decorative. It doesn't have to flower; it does, but the leaves are decorative in themselves. Yeah, and and there's another one here. This is. Um, uh, Gwen's winding me up. She does oh, no. that all the time. <laughs> that's per- purpurea, and that, that's quite widespread, but there's a lot of variation in, in colours. You get greens, you get reds, and that's quite a, a little plump one, and it has a more or less part of its upper leaf curls over so that it stops a lot of water getting in. There's, a, there's water in the bottom, and that, this has got enzymes, and that dissolves uh, the insects, and that's the way it gets its nutrient. A bit like our drossers, our sundews do the same yep, thing yep. with their... And, do you uh, reckon the mosquitoes get sucked into going into those as yeah, well? Yeah, they do. 
Yeah. Even European wasps. Okay. Yeah, we mentioned about wasps, yeah. but flies. And are these these that you've brought in, are they all in the same pot? Uh, yeah, vir- vir- virtually, <laughs> virtually are, yeah. yeah. So you can, uh, you can have a little, little landscape garden in your pot. Yeah. For, for, I know when we used to go to the, cal- uh, the Carnivorous Plant Society for quite a while, and most of them used to grow them in just individual pots, and then we started showing them. How, how to grow them in yeah, as gardens, and it's you know, and they said, oh yeah, and they and they they do that now. And but what what depth is the pot that you've got them in? It's probably around about that, oh, which okay, is so not very deep no, at all. Which is what probably T- ten inches, yeah, twenty five yeah, centimeters. And yeah. so there's a, usually you put in something like if you can get some good charcoal, put in the bottom, yeah, and then your potting mix. But the mix is usually quite a lot of uh, peat moss or coir peat, mm-hmm. and uh, some sand. Um, and then you can just plant them in that and just keep them wet. But um, places like Collector's Corner mm-hmm. down in Garden World have a good selection. I know out our way at one of the um, the markets, Arcuna Market, there's a, a woman there who sells them. But so you, you can pick them up at markets and things like that. And uh, there's the little little fellows, you know, they just tend to go straight out and hardly any opening, but nice lots of colour. But so. Yeah, Saracenas. They're worth worth trying, and it's. Um Roger, what's the attraction? What what makes the insect? Is he just curious, or why does he go down there? Often in the lip, yeah. there'll be some wax. As you okay. can see here. Okay. That, that, yes. that is sticky yeah. and sweet. Yeah, so, sweet. So they go okay. in, and uh, we, we've got some pitcher plants in Australia too. And it's the same story. There's stuff that they get in, and then they can't get up because often there's hairs pointing down. And uh, when you cut these open, you will find all the residue down in the bottom. Actually, just got me thinking when you were talking about getting them from um, Gardeners World. You could probably also get them at the Tesla plant, uh, rare plant fair. Yeah, that's right. I actually forgot to mention this morning. Um, I think I've left the. that's the next week. It, it is next, next weekend, week. yeah. yes, up in Sylvan. So that's the yeah, yeah the Tesla's um, rare, pl- yeah, rare yeah, plant yeah, fair. Yeah, so if you yeah. Google that, you'll be able to find out yeah, the information yeah, for where yeah. and when that's on. Yeah. I'm pretty sure they'll have them for sale there. So you do get ordinary leaves, which come up. They're just flat leaves. Yep. And you get these... Pictures. Pictures yeah. adapted. Do you feed at all? Uh, no, not not no, usually, but you can you can do you can put a very bit you know small. Bit See, they feed themselves, oh, and that's yeah, why yeah, they yeah, produce yeah, the yeah, pitcher yeah, to yeah. catch more insects. Yeah. But if so, you want to get them growing big, I think some people just give them a slight dose of something. To sure. And do you, do they flower often? Uh, flower in spring, yeah, okay. springtime. That's, that's just a spent the flower spent there. Flower. Depending mm. on what species, there's one called Saracenia flava. F-L-A-V-A, and that has beautiful yellow flowers. And some of them are sweet-scented, the, f- the flowers they're yep. perfumed. And uh, once again, that tends to, to draw the insects into the, into the plants. Wonderful. So, yeah. And now, Graham, I know you've um, either brought in fruit salad for breakfast or some <laughs> plants to talk about. What have, what have you got on the other side of the That's bench right. There? I thought I might give fig, figs a bit of a go today, A.B. Uh, I have... Uh, in my retirement, I planted a cherry tree, a mulberry tree, and a, f- a fig tree, mm-hmm. and I put a big cage around them with uh, w- w- wire netting so that no possible bird can get in there. I'm allowed All in. All for you, yeah, right? To, yeah, to, to, to right. Yeah. So I've been really enjoying the fig. Figs come to fruition, and uh, I 
saying to someone the other day that didn't believe me, but I reckon there's about a four-hour window in which you should pick that fig. You know, you, you, get, you, get, you get to know. Yeah. I've got a couple, a couple of uh, 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 examples there. That one, he's a bit, a bit uh, 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 overdone, sure, yeah. and that, that, that one that hasn't quite made. But generally, they, that, when they're mature, they'll, 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 they'll droop like that, oh, okay. and, and you get a splitting of the skin. And it just at that stage, I get myself a fig and I sit on my log outside sort of thing and, and in, in, enjoy. It's better than a glass of wine, I be. There's something. It's a sensual. The, 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 the actual seeds crunch in your mouth and uh, just the, 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 the taste of a, 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 a good fig. It's, it's something that people should not uh, deny themselves of. Absolutely, (laughs) and it's fresh off the tree, you just can't beat it. That's true, sure. But, uh, you know, they're they're an amazing thing. They're really unique in the uh, uh, plant kingdom in that they have their flowers on the inside and there's a specific wasp Mm. who gets into that top of the fig to do the the, the pollination. So when when you're chewing, it's probably gen, gen, generally it's seeds, seeds and, and and flower, flower the little, little, little flowers there. Uh, it's uh, you know you can propagate them by uh, cut, cut, cutting, like I was saying before. Probably the best way to go. Indeed, if you buy one from a nursery in a pot. Uh, sometimes it gives you a little bit of a bit, bit of trouble. We found in their nursery, you know, bare-rooted uh, plants, persimmons, fi- 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 figs. Uh, they were probably a little bit of a problem. Not not always did people be successful with them. So, uh, if you're buying them in the uh, a nursery situation, it's best to wait until they've got leaves on it in a, in a pot. Then you then, then you're sure you're up and going. But certainly, if you know someone that's got a, a fig that you like. Uh, uh, the cu- cutting of uh, about a uh, 20 centimetres, the, the, the 30 centimetres cu- cutting. Take, t- take a little bit of the old, uh, old wood as well, well, well as the new wood, put it in some uh, propagation mix and they, they, they strike re- 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 readily. A few varieties there. There's Preston Pro- Prolific, as, uh, which is one that is uh, arguably uh, was found in the backyard uh, in, in, in Preston. There's another theory there that uh, an Italian did bring it from overseas sort of thing <laughs> but, uh, and I was saying someone, you grow them from seed and you've got probably 5% chance of getting something reasonable 95% they're rubbish and a couple came up in our nursery at the back we thought here we could go, we came from the seed seed it'll be good and they're just dry inside and, and useless so mm. if you're propagating you certainly in one comes up it's a bit of a waste of time to see what you're going to get sure. cutting grain is the best that one I've got there, there is called black black genoa. There's a white genoa. There's a white Adriatic. And brown brown turkey is a, a longer fig, a little brown one. Beautiful flavour that one. I think you know, if in, in my taste taste buds really appreciate appreciate that one. Roger would be aware of uh, this. Uh, I think if the ficus species is, uh, which the figures of, of, of course, one, one thereof, there's about eight, eight, 800 species, so mm-hmm. it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very big one. Mm-hmm. And there'll be some, some native, na- na- like the Morton Bay fig and some yeah, Australian native ones. I forget how many are yeah. it, but I think it's probably yeah. up about 80 or so. Really, as many yeah, 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 sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. sure, sure, sure. Yeah. I was in Norfolk Island, you saw these massive uh, uh, Morton Bay figs, so they're 
great root system and the massive trees like the, down the bottom of the Sydney Botanical Gardens. There's mm. a couple, couple mm. of good ones there. Mm. I don't know what the width of them is. Massive trees. Mm. And still, you know, all have that similar sort of uh, fig, fig shaped uh, thing with the, with the seeds inside and, and uh, fertilised or pollinated by a, a, a wasp. And, and again, uh, the other characteristic is the, is the latex, of course. Our rubber trees, which is a big, mm. such a big industry in our, our world, uh, Ficus elastica. We've got uh, indoor plants like uh, Ficus benjamina, Ficus hilleri, hil- 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 mm. uh, and the fiddle leaf fig. It's a, 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 another lovely indoor and hardy plant sort of thing. It, it, uh, it's an interest, I- I- interesting uh, genus, that's for sure. It sure is. Now, I guess we should get to some of our callers who all want to talk about fruits. Uh, good morning, Wendy from Vermont South. Oh, sorry, guys. Um, sorry, reading the newspaper at the same time. <laughs> that's all right. You've been on hold for a while. Sorry about that. <laughs> good morning. Um, just a, a, a quick question. I hope it's quick about um, lemon trees and the dreaded gall wasp. I think my lemon tree, which died in October, succumbed to gall wasp. Um, perhaps if I just tell you briefly what it, it did, its leaves just went all yellow. It had very few leaves. The leaves just became fewer. Um, it, it, they went yellowish and all dropped off. I tried to chop off the pieces that looked like they were dead. And in the end, you're just chopping back and back and back till eventually the green was just all gone. Is this likely to be gall wasp? Mm, how old was the tree, Wendy? Uh, about eight years. Yeah, sure. In my book, uh, it doesn't generally kill kill the tree. You know, ah. they'll, 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 they'll drag it back a bit. But uh, okay. I think it'd be more likely, uh, you know, Phytophthora or what we call collar rot, is a lot of citrus trees that oh, they, they in, their, in their days because because of that. Oh, I see. Certainly, it's a heck of a pest. This thing, you know, and I've got many citrus trees in my garden at home, and uh, I just, you know, uh, religiously go around. And, and chip chip out the little bits that you see. You've got to be very you know, uh, vigilant, I suppose, and go around and, and, and do that a lot. The, one of the latest ones they say about uh, December, if you spray with white oil, and that's a good time yeah. to spray your citrus trees because it stops, stops the scale insects. Okay. And it's a, it's a, it's a non-nasty spray, spray to put on. Okay. And, and that eventually suffocates some of the, uh, just the, the egg, the eggs are laid in about, uh, August. Yeah. And, and then they hatch about that, that, that time and it's a good time to, to get some sort of con- control there. Okay. I'll put it in on you a bit there. Sorry, Wendy. Yeah. 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 Now, what about, um, with regard to the soil that the, the lemon tree is growing in, yes. what what bearing does that have? Like, can I plant my lemon, my new lemon tree? I'm going to go get one today sure. in that exact same spot. Yeah, it is a bit of a worry that one. Uh, when we were a commercial orchardist, we we wouldn't do that. Sometimes okay. we would, uh, you know, just just go, uh, I suppose, nine feet away and yeah. and, 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 and plant the plant All there. Right. Right. I know you're probably constrict, constricted with the, the the room you've got there. I am a bit, but yeah. I can I can sort that one out. Yeah. The people in the front unit, there's two units here on a block. They've got a lemon tree as well, and they're they're always there's tenants always in there, and they're not very interested mm. in the garden. And get their lemon tree. Mm. It's fine. The lemons don't seem wonderful. You cut them open and they're mm. sort of a little brownish inside. I think yeah. they've got, um, mm. uh, what do you call it, the gall wasp issue as well. Yes. But their lemon tree has all rocks around the top of it, completely 
rocks on the surface. So I'm thinking, is that of some benefit? Why has theirs survived when they do nothing to it? And my tree that's carefully looked after and fed and watered and... It's just not fair, is it really? It's not right. It's 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 not fair. (laughs) That's not fair. Uh, Sometimes the the old rock thing can help, uh, you know, plants that are out of there. For instance, I've got a big banana tree in my place. And uh, I, I put uh, pa- pa- paving and stuff there, you know, that the rocks and stuff will mop up a bit of heat through the, okay. the daytime and liberate it at night, so you, yeah. you, 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 you keep it happy that way. Could be of some benefit. But, uh, well, know, look, the, the, the other important thing is when you plant a citrus tree is, is to elevate your bed a little bit. You know, if, yes, I don't know what right, sort of you want. If I can't plant it where I currently yeah. had the old one, sure. I will have to move it now to a yeah. bed where yeah. it is elevated. Yes, yeah, that, 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 that. that's good. Uh, what, what about the type? Of trees, like what someone suggested, a Lisbon, a Lisbon is better than a Eureka, but then mm. this is perhaps speculation, is it? Yeah, it's hard, to, it's hard to say on that one. One good thing about your Eureka, it'll give su- summer lemons where yes. generally a, a Lisbon won't. Yep, yep. So I always had lemons with my Eureka all year yeah, round. I sure. think have lemons, I think. Yeah, right. I'd yeah. go for your, uh, a Eureka. Yeah. The, the other you know, options now, you can get these trees, trees on, on dwarf stocks if you don't want to get too, too big, which is always a possibility. Yes, I saw one the other day. It gets to about a metre and a half, I think. Yeah, sure. Maybe two metres even. Yeah, Yeah, okay. I might try that now. Thanks so much for that. My next question, this is hilarious, this question. I'm just very perplexed about it. It's to do with garden pests, I suppose we could say. Uh, My daughter is in uh, Blackburn. She lives two doors down from Blackburn Lake, so it's very bushy in that area. We know there are foxes. There are certainly possums. Last night she put out 20 little tiny Easter eggs for the Easter egg hunt this morning. Mm. That was about 8 o'clock last night, all down a single little pathway where there is no security light or anything there. Not like anybody could see what she was doing. Or mm. There's so much bush you couldn't see anyway. Mm. This morning those eggs are all gone. The, the others, the bigger ones were around in the shrubs for her little one to find. These 20 eggs in their wrappers are all gone. Oh, come on, Wendy, fess up. It was you, wasn't well, it? I, I wish I could say it were, but it, it, it was not me. And I'm thinking... If, if a fox came, would they eat the wrappers? And there's no sign of the eggs. They're completely gone. There's no wrappers. There's nothing. Yeah, I'd, I'd say they'd eat the lot, and there'd yeah. be a couple of foxes with uh, quite sore bellies this morning. You're funny teeth. You, you what, wonder what you about rats and possums. Do you think possum? someone's stolen them, or do you think foxes could do? Them? No, foxes. Yeah, I would say yeah, definitely yeah, the fox. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, sure. And would leave no mess at all? You think? Well, absolutely. He'd probably just swallowed the whole thing. I think I a fox see. would eat the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, I see. Yeah, yeah, well, sure. I think then that's what it is. I said to a fox as a I think they do wolf things down, including chickens' heads and all other things, don't they? Sure do. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Guys, what a fascinating topic on a Sunday morning for Easter. I will leave it with you. Good on you, Wendy. Thanks, Thanks. Wendy. Thank you again. Bye-bye. Bye. And we do have quite a few callers, so let's um, go now to Vicky from Taggarty. Good morning, Vicky. Oh, good morning, everybody. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. Uh, Look, uh, you may have answered this earlier, Graham, but uh, look, uh, have I left it too late to prune my apricot trees? No, not, not at all. You, you, you find there. The, the leaves haven't come off at the stage of the game. No, they don't even look like it no, yet. No, 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 that's fine. And uh, you, you're right on there because there's a da- the danger of, of uh, 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 the fungus disease. What's, what's it called? Uh, my, 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 my poor, poor head. But... Uh, Apricots are uh, subject to gamosis, thank you. And uh, it's both a cherry and a uh, uh, apricot are certainly uh, give you a lot, 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 
a better chance of surviving that uh, disease if you plant if you prune them in in the autumn. So go 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 for it. Yeah, go that, for that's it. Good I'm, I'm out there in five minutes for those seconds. <laughs> okay, good on you. I hope they're sharp. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had a I had two peach trees uh, blow over um, fortnight ago in that big storm we had. Yes. Um, one of them I think will be all right. The other one. Uh, the trunk just uh, only bare rooted it last uh, last or, uh, or no, when was it last winter? Yeah. Mm. And its trunk is as big as my forearm. It's a dwarf. Mm. Mm. It's um. You've, is it? You've looked after uh, it. It's grown. I think, or is it a goner? We used to have trouble in the commercial orchard a bit like that. You know, if, when it, if the ground is still wet, indeed, if you re-wet it and, and you pull it back into a line, you know, you, you, maybe you need a, an iron stake to sort of hold it there as well and yeah. give it a good cut, cut, cut back even at the stage of the game. I think it is the best way to go. Sometimes if you try to bring it back, it'll tear, tear, tear the roots on the other side and you, you lose the tree. But give it a good water and bring it back into an upright position and tie it onto a, a, a metal stake. Give it a prune. And then leave the stake there forever. Yeah, probably. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And look, just uh, you talking about figs there while I was waiting, Graham, just... Sure gave me the other question I really do need to ask. I put in, I've got in um, oh, probably about 12 or 13 fig trees and I've put them in a, a double lane uh, walk like an alley. Yeah, very good. And uh, yes. so I've got all of those lovely varieties you mentioned. Yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, look, I'm thrilled. Almost all of them have got, a, have got fruit on them. Yes, yes. Um, they haven't had enough water so they're still only knee high. Yes. I bought them little little fellas from uh, most of them were little fellas from diggers yes yeah, uh, and so they were just little twigs when yeah, I put them, put yeah, them yeah. in last, yes. uh, once again last winter yes um, now they're coming up as shrubs though so um, I really would have liked to have had a, sort of a tree like configuration mm. do you think if they're sort of bowing out if the if the branches are branching out you know left and right and all the rest of it yeah it, is it viable to do that, or should I try and just leave them maybe as a big fig hedge? Yeah, it's hard to say on that one. You know, generally, we try and uh, pr- pr- prune or train to about four or five main main limbs, okay. uh, and uh, you know a little bit of trimming from every now and again doesn't. If you would certainly want to hedge to to, to to create those four limbs, and then for them to branch out, sort of thing, and 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 make make a canopy, I suppose. Yeah. Oh, so like, like maybe have or almost like having say three or four leaders in yes, one. Exactly. Okay. Yes, exactly. Yes, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. I've got you. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The other thing I thought you were going to ask her about about the fruiting. Uh, sometimes with young trees, they'll show, show fruits, but they won't come to fruition early. But uh, uh, they've got two crops a uh, fig. If you uh, uh, some the little small figs will develop this this time of the year, and they stay dormant through the winter time, and they they they, they come to fruition in in, uh, in December, and that, that that's a good crop. Otherwise, they they come on the new wood, the new growth in the springtime, and they they come you know mature February March. But it help these little ones if I nip these. Because I, I, yeah, I, I think it'd be better. You're not going to get any fruit of the go, 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 go for the the, 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 the the tree itself. You're right on. Yes. Oh, good on you. Okay, happy Easter, everybody. Okay, good Vicky. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye for now.
Great. Now let's we're sort of running out of time, but let's uh, go to Val in Hampton. Good morning, Val. Oh, good morning, <clears throat> Graham. Could I ask you a, a question about my grapevine? Sure. Which yeah. is, I have lumps, <clears throat> lumps on the leaves, which were green, and yes. you turn it over, and they were silver in the yeah, underneath yeah, where yeah, the lumps yeah, were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, 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 First they call, time ever. Yeah, they call it blister mite. Bl- blister mite. Yes. It's a pro- problem. You, you, you spray with lime sulphur uh, just at, when, when they're just emerging in the spring in the springtime, and you've got a, just a few, few few shoots have come out. But blister mite. It's a problem in the industry. Yeah. Right, and, and does it affect? It doesn't affect. Does it affect the fruit? Yeah, not your vine about a bit, ultimately, sort of thing. But you know, it won't kill the vine. But it's uh, certainly probably you know a bit of lime lime sulphur in the. It's it's not such a bad one. Right, uh, you spray that in in the springtime. Thank you very much. Okay, Val. Thank bye. you. Good on you, Val. Thank you. Oh, well, we've just about reached uh, the end of our time here. So, what what's everybody up to today? You off to go and eat some eggs? Well, I was. Sorry, I was going to suggest that people, if they haven't already done it, should race out and cut the flower spikes off their agapanthus. I mean, we were talking oh, about weeds yes. before, and aggies are just such a, a wonderful plant to tolerate all sorts of dreadful conditions, but you do need to cut off the spent flowers so that the birds don't spread the seeds, because some of our weeds are very beautiful. They're not all ugly and prickly and things, so that was my thought for the day. Yeah, and even something like the belladonna lily, they're, of course, um, dropping their seeds around everywhere now, aren't they? It's true, true, true. Hmm. Yes, I don't we, we haven't got t- t- time, love, but uh, I, I bought in Cape, Cape Gooseberries there. Oh, fa- fa- Fascinating little, little guys. They've got little sh- 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 sheath on the zone. You open them up and they're quite tasty. Oh, I, rem- you, you, I you, remember you, 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 them you, you, from you, South t- Africa, Graham. Okay. okay. <laughs> gorgeous, gorgeous plants. They used to be all over Lord Howe Island. Oh, <laughs> I imagine they, oh, yeah, they would okay. be quite weedy as well. <laughs> and so and, and guavas on Lord Howe, but I think they've just about got rid of all the, the cherry guavas on Lord Howe. Oh, have they? So they've... Yeah, but, uh, so yeah. fauna and, and flora weedy problems. It's, um, oh, yeah, yeah, it sure. it can be a big problem. Yeah, in terms of the areas. Delicious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, yeah. thank you uh, so much, firstly, to Jan and Liz for womaning our phones this morning. There was a lot going on. And thanks to Gwen, Roger and Graham for sharing your haughty knowledge with us all. And thanks to you, the listeners, for tuning in to the 3CR Gardening Show. Until next week, may all your eggs be chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>